Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, the Creation Research Society's Spring 2016 journal, is totally dedicated to recent findings in the field of genetics. And we've been discussing some of the information in that journal and how it supports a creation model of origins. Yes, Scott. Or another way we could say that is recent discoveries in the field of genetics validate what the Bible says and cause problems for the main evolutionary explanation for how the diversity of life we find on Earth arose. And that main evolutionary explanation or theory is neo-Darwinism, right? Right, neo-Darwinism. Now, most people have heard of Darwinism, but they may not be familiar with the term neo-Darwinism. So here's what the New World Encyclopedia says about neo-Darwinism. Quote, Neo-Darwinism, also called the modern evolutionary synthesis, generally denotes the combination of Charles Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection, Gregor Mendel's theory of genetics as the basis for biological inheritance, and mathematical population genetics, unquote. So people should understand that Darwin didn't know anything about genes or DNA. Those things were discovered many decades later. So even though Darwin proposed that it was the differences in individual members of a population that nature would distinguish between and then select some for survival and others for elimination, the explanation for how those differences or variety occurred was unknown in his day. So once we learned that it was genetic mutations that produced some of the variations we observe between individuals, evolutionary theorists then took that observation and used it to claim that although most mutations were bad, sometimes a beneficial mutation would occur in an individual, giving it some trait or ability that made it better suited for survival. The survival of the fittest. Correct. And thus, that individual would have more offspring, and then that individual's genetic makeup would eventually be spread throughout the population and, in fact, dominate in that population. Now, this was then the principle that evolution latched onto to explain how genes changed so that the characteristics of an individual would be different from its parents. And given those individual differences, natural selection had something to work on, so to speak, and thus improve the species to the point that gradually new species would be produced. Now, all that sounds very logical, doesn't it, Scott? Well, actually, yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. And that is part of the power of the theory. It does seem to make a lot of sense. There's a little problem, though. Just because a theory is logical doesn't mean that it is what actually happens. And the idea that little genetic changes or mutations accumulating over time to ultimately result in major changes in species so that one kind of organism changes into a different kind of organism, like, for example, fish evolving into frogs or mice evolving into bats, is not supported by observable evidence. And by observable evidence, I'm not talking about putting a series of gradually different-looking fossils together, which is very subjective, where you compare one bone with another and it looks like the bone shape is changing, and boy, you go, look how we go from a mouse to a bat. That's not the kind of observable, quote-unquote, evidence I'm talking about. What I mean is the data genetic research produces, especially at the molecular level. So here's what the New World Encyclopedia goes on to say about neo-Darwinism or as it's also referred to, the modern evolutionary synthesis. Quote, 
While the modern synthesis remains the prevailing paradigm of evolutionary biology, in recent years, it has both been expanded and challenged as a result of new developments in evolutionary theory. In particular, concepts related to gradualism, speciation, natural selection, and extrapolating macroevolutionary trends from microevolutionary trends have been challenged. Now, the New World Encyclopedia certainly isn't a creation publication. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I would think it's probably evolution-based, isn't it? I'm pretty sure it would be, yep. And in our previous program, you read statements from an evolution-based website that clearly stated some of those same challenges. Yes, the website is thethirdwayofevolution.com. All those words run together. And that site proposes that neo-Darwinism does not explain the diversity of life on Earth. And since they dismiss creation offhand because that requires a supernatural creator— you know, Scott, I don't have a problem with that. Do you have a problem with that? Not at all. <laughs> well, anyway, these evolutionary scientists are proposing that a third theory is required to explain how everything got here or evolved. You know, Dr. Scripture, if indeed Darwinism is under such attack, how does it continue to be presented as such hard fact? Well, that's a good question, Scott. And I think the answer is basically simple. It is because the entrenched dogma of Darwinism is held onto by those who are in power, whether in academia or media or government. And let me show you how this is not just my own assessment. Here's another interesting critique of the state of Darwinism that you can find on this thirdwayofevolution.com website that we've referred to a couple of times already. It has a list of books they recommend which support their proposal that a third way is indeed needed to explain how the diversity of life, or in their words, how evolution occurs. And they present quite a long list of books there, but I want to talk about one of the books they list in particular, which makes the point. This book, published 2015, is titled The Paradigm Shifters. Overthrowing the Hegemony of the Culture of Darwin. Hegemony? What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I had to make certain of the meaning myself, Scott. It means, simply put, domination. Let's also explain what paradigm is. A paradigm is a standard pattern or way of thinking. So if we amplify the meaning of the book title, it could be read like this. The Standard Way of Thinking Shifter overthrowing the domination of the culture of Darwin. Now, that makes a lot more sense, and you're saying this is not written by a creationist. That's right. It's written by an evolutionist. Suzanne Mazer, or Mazer, I'm sorry, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but as you can see, just from the title of her book alone, she is admitting that Darwinism is entrenched by virtue of its basically being the dogma of the day, a dogma not supported by the facts. I'm going to read one more thing from the thirdwayofevolution.com website, because here's part of the description of what Mazur's book is about. It says, quote, Major scientists from a dozen countries present evidence that a paradigm shift is underway or has already taken place, replacing neo-Darwinism. They explain that that is the standard model of evolution based on natural selection following the accumulation of random genetic mutations. It's been replaced with a vastly richer evolutionary synthesis than previously thought possible, unquote. So now what the creation scientists are simply doing is contributing to the discussion as this paradigm shift is underway. 
by proposing that the data being amassed by current research actually supports the distribution of genetic traits in the population of peoples around the world that we would expect based on the accounts of creation and the flood and even the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis. This is really exciting, especially for somebody like me who's a molecular biologist (laughs) and a geneticist, and it's based on research that just 10 years ago would have seemed impossible to even do. But because of the processing power, basically, of our super-fast computers, we can make amazing comparisons and predictions, even though the information being analyzed contains huge numbers of variables. And so, Dr. Scripture, in our last program, you explained that current genetic research fits with what the Bible says about all humanity today having a common male ancestor, Noah based on data collected on the Y chromosome, that is, the male chromosome. But then the article from the CRSQ Journal you were explaining also claims that genetic research supported the idea that we can all trace our ancestry back to three females who, according to the Bible, would have been Noah's three daughters-in-law. And that was based on mitochondrial DNA studies, right? Right. So now you owe us an explanation. Uh What in the world is mitochondrial DNA and what does that have to do with Ham's wife? (laughs) And Japheth's wife and Shem's wife. Uh, You're right, Scott. I uh, left that information dangling out there in our last program, so I do owe an explanation. And first, I'll explain what mitochondrial DNA is and why it's different from the rest of the DNA in our cells. We all have thousands of little biochemical machines in each of our cells which produce chemical energy that the cell uses to drive most of the chemical reactions that go on in the cell. So mitochondria makes sugar, like glucose. You know, I've heard that glucose is the basic energy source in our bodies. Well, that's a good observation, Scott, but actually glucose is far too complex a molecule for our cells to use to drive chemical reactions. In fact, what mitochondria do is they essentially break down glucose. And after dozens of chemical manipulations accomplished by a host of enzymes, all of which, by the way, would have to have been produced by chance, according to the theory of evolution, (laughs) as a result of all these enzymes working together, the energy that held the glucose molecule together is transferred to the little molecule called adenosine triphosphate, or ATP. And ATP is what all cells use to basically live. Now, the thing is, with these mitochondria is, the information to make the enzymes that do the work in a mitochondrion is so complex, or maybe trying to assemble a mitochondrion with all its parts is so complex, (laughs) the design of this little machine comes with its own set of construction instructions. Hmm. And what form do instructions take in living things, Scott? Well, the instructions to make living things are found in DNA. Exactly. So unlike the instructions to make everything else in a cell, the mitochondria have their own little piece of DNA, which carries information necessary to make them. Ah, so that's why it's called mitochondrial DNA. Yep, it's not just a gene. It's actually a set of genes, distinct from the chromosomal DNA in the cell. And there is something very special about this little piece of mitochondrial DNA. We only get our mitochondria, and therefore our mitochondrial DNA, from our mother, Mm. with some exceptions. But we'll not worry about that for now. 
<laughs> now, that sounds similar to what we talked about when you were discussing the Y chromosome in our last program. Only males have a Y chromosome, and that piece of DNA we call the Y chromosome only comes from the father. Mm -hmm. And now you're saying there's another piece of DNA that everyone has, right? Mm, because, everyone's got it, yep. Okay, because everyone has mitochondria, right. but that only comes from our mother. Very good, Scott. That's exactly right. So think about it. We'll just go back to Noah. We won't worry about Adam and Eve right now. According to what the Bible describes, all men, starting with his three sons, would have the same Y chromosome that Noah had. But all humans would not have the same mitochondrial DNA that Noah's wife had. Because she was not the mother of Shem, Ham, and Japheth's mm. wives. Those women had different mothers, and so their mitochondrial DNAs would have had some differences from their mother-in-law. So today, the entire human race's mitochondrial DNA comes from three female ancestors, Noah's three daughters-in-law. <laughs> now that's what we assume based on the Bible. And that's what modern genetic research supports. The CRSQ article that discusses this is entitled, Human Genetic Data Affirms Biblical History on Many Levels and is an Excellent Resource for Creation-Based Research. So within that article, there's all this different explanation of the research on Y chromosomes, on mitochondrial DNA. There's a host of information there on the recent research. And something that all this information has in common is it points to the validity of the Bible. And where in the Bible do we learn that we had one common male ancestor and three female ancestors, <laughs> so to speak? It's in Genesis 6, 18, where God is talking to Noah and he says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.